Wow, Waterstone, what an honor it is to be back. This was our home for, for several years. Uh, we have so many great relationships, so many great memories here, and it truly is an honor to be with you this morning. And as a, a pastor at Resilience, as a representative of Resilience, I wanted to take a moment this morning just to say thank you to Waterstone for the ways that you have and the ways that you continue to support Resilience Church. It has truly been amazing to see the ways that Waterstone has come alongside us in this past year and has um, really been there the whole time, cheering us on, supporting us in different ways. And we are so, so appreciative of that. So thank you so much. Uh, th this last year, Elliot mentioned a few things. This last year has been a, a great year. Finishing seminary, being done with classes has been awesome. Being a part of resilience has been amazing. It's been really cool to see the ways that God has moved. But by far, the most exciting part of our Jans and I's lives right now currently weighs five pounds, four ounces. Yeah. Yeah. This is... Jacob Mathewson, he was born on August 10th at a mighty three pounds, 11 ounces. He was a little early, so he, he had to spend some time in the NICU. He, thank, thank goodness, praise God, he did not have any medical concerns or issues. He just needed to grow and learn how to eat, and that took him a little while. The last thing to come out was his feeding tube you see in that picture, because uh, he was pretty content on just being fed and not having to do the work. This is the day we brought him home, which was this last Wednesday. So this, this last month and this last week has been absolutely crazy. And thank goodness I'm here this morning. My wife has been an absolute MVP this week as I've prepared to be here with you. She's really taken a lot of the night shifts. So I made it. And we are continuing in this series called We Are Waterstone, where as a church, you're looking at what does it mean to be Waterstone right now, and what, is, what does this look like as we go forward? And this morning, we're looking at what does it mean to be part of a local church? What does it mean to be part of Waterstone, to be part of a community of followers of Jesus? How, how should that look? What does it look like? And speaking of church, the local church, I grew up in the church, and by I grew up in the church, I mean I grew up in the church. Both of my grandpas were pastors, my dad is a pastor, one of my uncles who lives in the area who has preached up here before is a seminary professor at Denver Seminary, three of my other uncles work in churches, and then another uncle is a missionary. So I grew up in the church family reunions were basically just another form of a church service for me. <laughs> we, we'd go on vacation and to visit family and I'd think, okay, great, we don't have to go to church this weekend, but we'd really triple our church attendance that week because we had Wednesday night prayer and everything. Could, there was no escaping it. So I grew up in church and I grew up in churches very similar to Waterstone and visited churches very similar to Waterstone. And throughout my time of growing up in the church and visiting different churches, one, one thing that I've noticed over the years, and even as I work in church, I've noticed in myself, 
is how easy it is to forget that it's not about me, it's not about us, it's about the way of Jesus. That it's not about me, it's about him and his way and what he calls us to. And so this morning we're going to look at a story in the book of Matthew that I think speaks really well to this. And we pick up the story in chapter 20, so it's in the final third of the book. And so a lot has happened up to this point in the book of Matthew. And Matthew was one of the original 12 disciples who lived with Jesus, who traveled with him, who learned from him, who heard his teachings. And then he wrote this account of Jesus' life, of the good news of Jesus. And we get to this point in chapter 20, and so much has happened with the disciples. They've traveled with Jesus. They've listened to him talk about the kingdom, about the community of followers of Jesus, what that looks like. And we, we come to a place where the disciples have seen the power of the kingdom. They've seen Jesus heal people. They've seen Jesus do miraculous things. And they get to a point where, oh, there's, there's a lot of power. There's a lot of opportunity here. And, and at this point in the story, in chapter 20, it's right before they're heading to Jerusalem. And if the disciples have picked up on anything, it's that, okay, it's coming to a climax. It's coming to a head in Jerusalem. This is where it all is going to go down. And knowing that, okay, it's coming to the climax. There's a lot of opportunity here in this kingdom. We come to this story where there's two disciples. And they're, they come... Well, they don't come to Jesus. They have someone else do it. I'm just going to read it for you. So chapter 20, starting in verse 20. It says, Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons, and kneeling down, asked a favor of him. What is it you want, he asked. She said, Grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. You don't know what you are asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my Father. And when the ten heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. So we know from other contexts that the sons of Zebedee were James and John. And these two, in this story, we see that they know what's coming. They've got, there's a great opportunity for themselves to set themselves up really well, to be at the right hand and the left hand, to be at the two top places. There's Jesus at the top, and then there's James and John. There's a great opportunity for us. And you can just imagine these two discussing it and being like, all right, James, this, this is our time. This is, do you see what we could get for ourselves? Go ask. And then James is like, I know, but you should go ask. And he's like, no, you go ask. And then they're finally like, let's just ask mom. Because <laughs> Jesus doesn't address mom and the disciples aren't upset with mom. So it definitely wasn't mom's idea to go ask this question. They put her up to it. Because they see an opportunity to be in a place that would serve themselves. It would be all about themselves. And Jesus responds with this, you don't understand what this is. You don't, you don't even understand what's coming. And they're like, well, it's okay. We'll, we'll still do it if it means we'd be in the right and left hand. He says, I, I don't 
think you quite understand what it means to be part of the kingdom, to be part of a community of followers of Jesus. And there's a heart issue here because I, I don't think the request in and of itself is a bad thing, but Jesus sees through the request. He sees to their heart a heart issue that they don't want these positions to serve other people. They want these positions for themselves, to serve themselves. They've made it about themselves. And Jesus sees that and says, I, I don't think you quite understand. And then you get to the, the other 10 disciples and they're upset. And it's not a righteous anger. It's not a, oh, I can't believe you would ask that. You have no idea what this kingdom thing's about. No, they're, they're upset as if James and John called shotgun before they could even see the car. They're mad. They're like, no, I wanted the front seat. I wanted a place of honor. I wanted to sit at the right hand and left hand because I could get a lot from those places, but you called it before we could even see the car. And they're upset at this. And when I first come to this story, I think it is so easy for me to distance myself from them and think, oh, I would never, never be like that in a community of followers of Jesus. Not me. But the, the truth is, 12 out of 12 disciples had this heart issue where they missed what the kingdom was about, what it meant to be part of a community of followers of Jesus. They missed it. And if all 12 disciples who were literally following Jesus, they were with him face to face, learning from him, watching him work, if they missed what it is about, I can't pretend that I'm not susceptible to that same mindset. That no matter how long I've been following Jesus, no matter how many churches I've been to, no matter who my dad is or my grandpa, grandpas are or whatever that looks like, that I can't have the same mindset. Because if all 12 of them had it, I think I fall prey to that as well. And my bet is that all of us in this room at one point or another have that same mindset. And it's, it's easy to have that mindset. It's so incredibly easy because that's how our world works, that, that really everything's about us and it's about what we want. We think about our world and the world of advertising and consumerism and, and there's billions of dollars spent on advertising to tell you it's all about you. If you just buy this, you'll be happy. If you buy this, you'll be fulfilled. Whatever that looks like, but it's all about you. And the moment I think that Oh, I'm not like that. I don't have those tendencies. All I have to do is think about when I get into the driver's seat of a car. Now, I'm not an angry driver. I, I don't have road rage. I don't drive aggressively. I hate driving in the city. But when I get behind the wheel of a car, all of a sudden everything changes and the world revolves around me. It doesn't matter if I'm on 225 or if I'm in the Chick-fil-A drive through the Target parking lot. You can see where I spend a lot of time. But if I'm on 225 and I'm exiting and somebody's trying to get over to exit as well, you bet I'm not letting them in front of me because you should have thought about that sooner. Okay? I got places to be. You can get behind me. 
when I'm in the Chick-fil-A drive-thru and there's a ton of cars there and I just sit there and I look at the people in front of me and I think, couldn't you have cooked at home today? Are you kidding me? I'm a millennial, I don't cook at home. Come on. But it's so incredibly easy for me to get into a mindset where the world just revolves around me. And then I take that mindset and I bring it here even into the church, into the community of followers of Jesus. And I know that example is probably a little more comical, a little bit more lighthearted, but I promise that's not the only area of my life where I feel that, where I display that. And I come into to church and I think, okay, how can this place serve me? What can I get out of this place? What do they have for me that's going to meet all of my needs? What's in it for me when I come here? And it, I realize I, I, it's so incredibly easy to bring that mindset into this community, into the local church, whether that's Resilience Church, whether it's Waterstone or a different church. It's so easy. And I'm so much like the disciples. And thankfully, Jesus speaks to this. In the following verses, Jesus gathers the disciples. And in verse 25 and 27 is what it says. Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Jesus calls them together and said, hey, what I imagine is a compassionate moment. Matthew doesn't tell us, but I imagine Jesus being compassionate and saying, the world works this way. I understand that. The world outside works in a way where it's all about yourself. It's how do I use my places of power, my places of influence to get what I want, to get what I need. He says, I understand that's how the world works. But not so with you. Not so in my kingdom. Not so with the community of followers of Jesus. He said, it's really not about you. It's about others. It's not about what you need, what you want, but about what others need, what others to serve them, to lower yourself, to humble yourself. And the thing is, is the times have changed, technology's changed, communication has changed, everything has changed since then, but the human heart hasn't changed. The disciples had this heart issue. We oftentimes have this heart issue And Jesus speaks to this and he says, it's really not about you, it's not about us, it's about the way of Jesus. It's about humbling yourself and lowering yourself. Serving one another, meeting one another's needs, that's what it looks like to be a community of followers of Jesus. And really, there is absolutely no better example than Jesus himself. And he ends this moment of bringing the disciples together and talking with them. He ends with this verse, or with this saying in verse 28. He says, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. 
This is Jesus, the Son of God. This is God come down into the flesh, not to serve himself, but to serve us. He came and lived a life that was not about himself, but it was all about others. We look at Jesus' life and you see it time and time again. I mean, this is the man who got down on his knees and washed the nasty, disgusting feet of the disciples, all 12 of them, knowing that one was going to betray him. He lived a life that was about others. He came to serve and not be served, and ultimately he gives his life as a ransom for many. He says, I'm going to give up my life for you, and I'm going to set you free from death and from sin, from the slavery that holds you. So I'm going to give up my life. I am going to live my life for others. That's what the way of Jesus looks like. That's what it means to live in the way of Jesus, to be a community of followers of Jesus, that it's not about myself. It's not about what I can get, but how do I serve others? How do I live a life that is for other people? This, this last weekend, Waterstone had their, their church fair. And if you were there, it was awesome. There was line dancing, there were some local businesses there. There was In-N-Out Burger, hallelujah, amen. But there's all this amazing stuff that happens. And, and I know that there's a ton of work and effort that gets put into that. And the staff is here pretty much all day from, you know, between seven or eight, they get here early, they help set up, they have the, the worship services in the morning, and then they have the fair in the afternoon, and there's set up and take down and all this stuff. And this past week, I, I was speaking to, or talking with a, a staff member here at Waterstone, and they said, you know, I was here around 5 p.m. that day, I was wrapping up all my stuff, I'd been there all day, and I thought I was the last person in the building. And as I'm wrapping up the, the odds and ends to get ready to go home, I, I heard something on the lower concourse happening, and he, he said, I, well, I think it was probably just the service master coming to clean up after everything. So the staff member wraps up their stuff, they're getting ready to leave, and they look down the hallway, and who do they see but Larry Renault? And here's the thing, Larry wouldn't, like me telling this story because Larry's a very humble man, but Larry's not here this morning, so I'm telling the story. <laughs> but the staff member, they, they see Larry going down the hallway with garbage bags in his hand, and he's taking out garbage, full garbage, putting in the new garbage liners. After a weekend of preaching, after helping set up after helping tear down Larry Renault, the leader at the helm of Waterstone, was here at 5 p.m. changing out garbage bags. And that moment, it's significant for us. It stirs something up inside us to see Larry doing something like that. It moves us. It even has the power to, to change us, to motivate us to change, to, to be like that. But here's the thing. Larry's just a man, and those are just garbage liners. And if that moment is significant, how much more with Jesus? That when we look to him and when we 
live in the way of Jesus, that it not only changes us, but then it changes the world around us. It changes the community. When we live for Jesus and we live in his way. And here at Waterstone, this happens through the three rhythms that you all have that I was very familiar with as I lived in these while we worked here and while we attended here. And these rhythms are transform, restore, and neighbor. And these are the ways that you engage at Waterstone, the way of Jesus. They flow out of the way of Jesus, of who he is. And in this series, the, the, the other sermons in this series are all about transform. So Larry preached on transform last week, and if you haven't had a chance to listen to that, go back and listen to it. And in the coming weeks, Waterstone, preachers will preach on restore and neighbor and what those look like. And my encouragement, my challenge for you this morning is to listen to those because they'll go into much more depth of what this looks like practically, what this looks like in the life of Waterstone. But I wanted to share how those flow out of the way of Jesus. And my encouragement this morning, my challenge to you is to ask myself, to ask yourselves, where can I start or where can I continue engaging in these rhythms here at Waterstone? Living in the way of Jesus. Not living in a way that it's about myself, it's about what I can get, but serving others, serving one another here in the community of Waterstone. And when we live that way, it changes us and it changes the community. And like I said before, this isn't easy. This is countercultural. Our world works this way. Jesus is calling us to something different. It's like swimming upstream. It's tiring. It's exhausting. And one of the ways we remind ourselves of this, that we keep coming back to this, is we just keep coming back to Jesus. We keep coming back and reminding ourselves of what he has done for us, the life that he lived, the life he calls us to